Hello and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters, a podcast discussing everything Star Wars 5e. My name is Todd, I've got Tegan here, and we're looking forward to jumping into hyperspace with you. Let's go! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters podcast, episode number 30. How you doing today, Tegan? Yeah, doing pretty well. I uh, got the fall beers are out, and I'm just kind of living it up. <laughs> yeah, we've had uh, definitely some classic uh, Michigan fall weather here. Beautiful one day, raining the next, so good time of year either way. So, uh, in today's podcast, uh, we have uh, one of, you know, I think both of us, are one of our favorite formats is just a, a DM chat, kind of off the script a little bit, uh, talking about some things that we've uh, gone through recently in campaigns or uh, just some topics that we've thought of recently to discuss, uh, just to help some of you out there, hopefully, in, in your own games and whatnot. So, uh, before that, a few announcements on our end. Uh, big shout out to all of our Patreons and other supporters, of course. Make sure to look us up at DungeonJediMasters.com to find links to all of our content. This podcast, our YouTube channel, uh, which we will be having some uh, new campaigns up there uh, very soon. A few, uh, We're going to start adding more of our campaigns on there for uh, VODs if you want to check that out. Uh, additionally, we have uh, our Instagram account, uh, Twitch channel where we do our live plays, and um, Twitter if you want to uh, see updates of when we have content going live and, and just talk to us there. And then lastly, that Patreon if you'd like to support us. Uh, with that uh, Patreon uh, support, uh, you do get exclusive uh, content releases that come out monthly, and um, we do some freebies as well. And uh, Today with this podcast, we're going to have an Ewok uh, party adventure. So if anyone uh, participated in or uh, watched the one shot that I've been doing this month for October, it's essentially going to be that one shot. Uh, this is based on an old Ewok story written from, uh, I think it's Marvel Comics did some um, Ewok uh Ewok stories, and so we I basically took that story. It was perfect for an adventure, and it was surrounded around Halloween um, that the Ewoks celebrated. But for this uh, adventure that we're gonna uh, hand out, it's I'm, I take that Halloween aspect out of it, so it just turns into basically a festival or party. That way, you can use it, you know, whenever you want. But certainly, if you want, throw that Halloween aspect back in. It works great for that. So. That freebie is going to be out today with this podcast, uh, but beyond that, there is some exclusives uh, to the Patreons, including custom NPCs and adventures that we also give out uh, monthly. So if you'd like, uh, check that out and uh, see if you'd like to support us in that way to get that. Uh, beyond that, uh, I think that's everything on our end. Uh, Tegan, there is uh, something new for Star Wars 5e. It looks like a new species. Definitely. So they brought in the Lermans, uh, and you remember these if you guys have seen Clone Wars. Uh, they were on the, I think, the Megito arc, if I believe right. Uh, they're the kind of little um, 
cuddly looking uh they look almost like a little uh little lemur uh but with the humanoid aspects uh so uh kind of a fun one they brought in uh this one uh gives you a uh, plus two to your dexterity score or plus one to wisdom so these would be a fun monk character too especially if you wanted to kind of lean into some of their uh uh kind of the smaller nature just kind of the more acrobatic aspect uh, they're uh, just kind of a little fun one too. They're smaller, I think, small by size. Uh, I think they can only get up to yeah, two eleven uh, is their average height. So uh, nothing too crazy there. Uh, basically, big ones for this would be uh, you can do monks, sentinels, any of the force classes would be a good fit for this one. Uh, they get a couple of cool features. They get dark vision. Uh, they also get the natural healer skill which gives them proficiency in medicine and nature to start with, uh, as well as the bio-analysis anal kit. Wow, a little hard to say there. Uh, so this would be a good one, too, especially if you're thinking of doing a counselor and going the way of the sage or a healing aspect. They get some cool stuff with that. Uh, they also just get a couple cool boosts to uh, climbing, uh, as well as agility, just some fun things they can do with it. So if you ever really liked them in the Clone Wars arc, this could be a good way to play that out with your own PC character. Very nice. Sounds like a great, uh, great addition to the species library. After that, uh, we can move into our uh, DM spotlights. We have two more to add to our uh, growing list so far. So as always, thank you guys for your submissions here. I uh, always look forward to reading these. Uh, so first off, uh, I have uh, from Anyseo. Uh, hopefully pronounce that right. Uh, their experience with t uh, tabletop so far, uh, the first time DMing, and uh, they have been playing tabletops for about three years now. So definitely a good amount of time, and it's nice to see that uh, they're getting behind the screen. Uh, finally, uh, their campaign name is The Forgotten Threat, and this is an Old Republic era uh, Exarchoon war. They are... Uh, Paying painstaking amounts of attention to detail to stay faith as faithful to the 1990s Tales of the Jedi comics as possible. So that's that's a cool uh, you know element there is that they're really looking to you know reflect something out there that exists, which is you know certainly something you can do, something you can really try and and work with uh, you know the existing material out there. Um, so far, they've been running for three months, uh, you know, aiming for at least a full year. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, I think that time flies by pretty fast. I've looked at uh, some of my campaigns and you're like, wow, we're almost at a year or past it. So uh, I'd say uh, it, it won't be too hard to get there. Just keep at it. Uh, they have five players and they're at level five right now. So good, uh, good round party size there. Uh, Tegan, throw it over to you for the next one. Definitely. So we got another Old Republic era. Uh, this one is run by Bobby. Uh, he's been DMing off and on over the course of 15 years, so definitely got some great experience there. A uh, mixture of uh, 3.5 for D&D and 5e, uh, as well as uh, the Star Wars 5e system. His campaign name is the Malevolence Plague. Uh, so it's set 25 years after the events of the KOTOR series, which is a fun era to run. I'm actually running a new one right now uh, in between the two KOTORs. Uh, but his group finds themselves bound together by a mysterious Jedi holocron. Uh, a group of Sith are hunting uh, both the holocron as the group, uh, and they must do whatever they can to not allow this plague of darkness to watch over the galaxy. 
Uh, so this one's been uh, running for some time, too. This is over a year. They're at 16-plus sessions, so definitely a long-running one. Uh, they've got five players, currently level six. Uh, he's not sure where he wants to end it off at, too, for which level it's going to kind of uh, cap the campaign off. Uh, but this is a fun one. Never the one with the KOTOR era and kind of both those eras. I think this is a fun one to play. And uh, I've heard Galley say that's kind of what he envisioned the system being used for. Because uh, there's just so much going on. I feel like it's one of the areas you can really represent each class and all the skills uh, fairly well. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, I think that has that versatility, you know, for a lot of those reasons. And I, I forgot to mention it earlier, but I think this is an excellent transition into this. Um, you know, for anyone that hasn't seen it yet, uh, we had our first episode of Galactic Basics, uh, which came out last Thursday, uh, time of this episode. And um, that initial episode was just uh, an intro to some of the themes and whatnot you find in Star Wars. But going forward, we are going to be looking at the Old Republic era and and uh, give you the basics of that era. Uh, kind of go over the timeline first with the basic events, the main events there. And then we'll touch on things such as uh, the key factions and groups you'd find, uh, some of the key systems and, and whatnot. So, uh, you know, as that... Uh, that segment that we're producing is, is doing is providing you kind of that setting guide uh, in this video audio format um, just to give everyone a foundation for those campaigns. But yeah, you know, the Old Republic is just, you know, it's one, it's, it's very expansive. Um, and then, you know, that's a good thing in a way because you can just squeeze in your campaign wherever and you don't have to worry too much about stepping on toes of, of canon or however you want to run that. It's, you know, Tegan, you definitely know that from experience. Definitely, yeah, because uh, all my campaigns have been Old Republic, but usually in different eras. Because uh, one of my one of my main campaigns I ran for years, or not for years, for about a year and a half, uh, was set kind of in the blank period where neither canon and legends had really written anything about it, which I thought was kind of freeing because it lets you use a lot of the existing lore but tweak it. Uh, but my newest campaigns in between, and like right in the heart of the Old Republic era where a lot of the stuff is written. Uh, and I was even taken by surprise. Like, I knew like offhand like how much stuff was going on, but uh, kind of getting all the lore set up and kind of planning things out for the campaign, I was surprised with how much like a 30-year period really happened in, uh, for the galaxy. It's just because uh, between the two quarters series, you've got uh, the Extra Con War, which uh, the other uh, DJM Spotlight campaign is playing in, which is about 30 years before the Mandalorian War. Uh, then about five years after that, you've got uh, Revan's War. Then uh, just so much going on and just kind of a real small period for the galaxy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how much you can find out there. Uh, just, you know, real quick, kind of wrapping up the spotlights. Again, thank you to both you guys, Eniseo and Bobby, and then uh, everyone else that wants to submit there, uh, please do. We love hearing about this. But, uh, you know, we'll just kind of keep this one rolling, get right into our, our chat for the day. Um, you know, I was going to touch on, you know, mentioning just all the information that you've, you found as you're doing your campaign, Tegan, is for this one shot, the Ewok adventure, um, you know, I, I started, I found the adventure, the story, I guess, and uh, just started doing my research. And, you know, because there was a, there was Ewok cartoons, comics, all this stuff. And, and just, there's this entire, you know, setting created for the Ewoks and there's so much information uh, and I learned so much and all these little details and things. And I was like, you could you could do an entire campaign surrounded around the Ewoks and Endor um, for sure. All these little adventures that they could go on and, and these other, you know, fellow uh, species that live on Endor, rivals and, and um, you know, allies, if you will. So, yeah, it's just uh, sometimes... 
you know, it's not a bad thing that there's a lot of information out there. Um, you know, when you go to set your campaign in a, in an era or whatever, because I think sometimes that information can help you spin out ideas. Definitely. And and Wikipedia is a great resource for that. It can be a little overwhelming sometimes, but you could just really find a lot about, that's the nice thing with Star Wars. It's been around for what, 40 years or maybe 50 years, maybe. Uh, But there's just so much different expanded content in all directions, especially if you're including both legends and canon uh, that there's almost any aspect of the galaxy. You should have like a decent starting base uh, with some good lore where you can kind of go and supplement and add some more stuff for your campaign. Yep, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's kind of our, our, our goal with the Galactic Basics series is to help people give them that, that starting point, because as you said, you know, Wikipedia can be overwhelming, but even, you know, on your own, if you say, all right, I want to, you know, just pick a planet, pick a system out there and say, I'm going to at least start my campaign here or, you know, in the sector, maybe hut space or whatever, and then go on that Wikipedia spiral. And, you know, there's so much there and, um, you know, because I think if you approach it and say, all right, I'm starting a campaign in the, you know, rebellion era. All right. You have so much stuff, you know, if you try and look at the whole galaxy. So if you try and narrow that down and pick a starting point, at least, you know, all right, rebellion era on, you know, whatever, Dantooine, uh, for example, learn what you can about that. And then I think uh, you'll start spider webbing off of, of different things and, and that uh, will help you create that structure easier, at least less overwhelming. Definitely. And one of the ways I usually do it for my campaign, because I love the lore and I like to be as kind of a close to the lore as I can. Uh, I know some people like one of the DJM spotlights, they want to keep everything exactly to the lore. I like to start with the lore kind of as that base point, And then after that, I like to have my campaign to be its own thing. Uh, so like, I like to I kind of have the lore as the base point, all like the kind of, ancillary stuff like world politics and world and the different species and all that will still kind of adhere to the lore uh but i don't always like kind of look at the timeline and say okay these things still have to happen i like to always gotta give the players a clean stake especially because if you go through and want to match everything up star wars has so much stuff that can just kind of eat up all your planning time going through and just really making sure that everything else lines up so i have to use it as a good framework but then kind of go do my own thing after that framework is set right yeah you know and and you know, that that can potentially uh, hinder, the, you know, the players' actions. The players are there to tell their stories. So, you know, it's fine, as you said, to start that framework. And then that's definitely something, you know, as a DM, make sure you're communicating that to your players and saying like, all right, here's our here's our baseline. We are for sure doing to the T, uh, you know, canon structure. But as of session one, it's, you know, history is not written yet as, as far as our campaign. So, you know, if Darth Vader dies in episode, in session two, that's what happens now going forward in our campaign or whatever. So just as long as you communicate that, but definitely certain a thing to, you know, definitely a, a good way to do that as well. Definitely. One of those ones you said, just throw it out so the players know and they can have some fun with it. So yeah, the Rebellion era and they want a plot to just throw, uh, kind of assassinate Darth Vader, let, let them go at it. Don't nerf Darth Vader though, so you can have some fun with it too, but it could be a fun story arc either way it goes. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, um, you know, we both have uh, essentially some new campaigns here. Uh, you know, I've got a, a new group on my Sunday night game uh, running a Living Force, uh, kind of the second half of that uh, overarching campaign. We're three sessions in right now. 
Um, and then Tegan, you have the new Hunted campaign, which is uh, which I'm playing in, and I, I love the concept there. And and uh, even um, you know, so I with one of the players, uh, we decided to kind of do that co backstory thing, and and the concept helped structure that a lot. Um, and and so you know, I'm playing a, a, a Thorian guardian. And then the other player, um, Ren is a, um, defected Mandalorian of the time. And, and he had, uh, when we were talking about this was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to be a Mandalorian. And, and I said, and I told you this too, is, you know, are you sure you want to do that in that time era? Uh, because you know, their Mandalorians were kind of the bad guys at some point. And, and it just turned into this, um, you know, this cool story of, of them defecting and, and coming over. And uh, is this a cool way to kind of develop that? Um, so kind of one of the topics that we've you know thought about talking about is is uh, is highlighting individual PCs as well um, and looking at the backstories and things like that and allowing time within a session to to highlight that stuff. Um Tegan, what's been your process uh, to kind of help that along? I know you've done um, some great questionnaires uh, that you asked the players uh, during, you know, campaign prep. Like, what does your character think of this and this? Uh, what else has have you done or what have you liked so far on, on your side of things? Definitely. So I, I like using the questionnaires. And what I use, use that to do is just kind of get, like, different aspects flesh out the backstories a little bit more but also help me kind of find different hooks for the player because uh, one thing that can sometimes get lost in a campaign and i've been guilty of this myself is you get so focused on kind of the overarching campaign mission or theme uh that you sometimes leave out those little shining moments for the players uh so a lot of the times i do like those questionnaires or just even have different follow-up questions to backstories you try to find like one like if not arc or at least one kind of little hook or different like one shot or mission that could sometimes revolve around that character uh it either overarcs into the kind of the, the overarching plan for the campaign or even sometimes a little just a break from the campaign that could focus on the character and help develop them and give them that kind of spotlight in the uh in the mission yeah absolutely and i think you know for the most part i, I think the rest of your party is going to enjoy that as well because i think it just you know as long as they're into that character development aspect and you know, even if you have one session or more, you know, a couple sessions that are kind of solely dedicated to one character, you know, obviously you want to work in the other players that they're going to be part of, of, of that. But, you know, that I think that just creates a better group dynamic overall because people learn about different characters, uh, backstories and whatever, um, you know, so it's just uh, brings in that, that extra element. Um, I have... Uh, you know, I, I've done a little bit of the similar thing. I haven't done like the structured questions like you did, which I really like and, and you know, something I'd probably consider adopting uh, in the future. But um, again, you know, with my Sunday game, uh, you know, I really wanted all the players to be contained within this, in the Kularan system, not just being from all over the galaxy, just to try and have a little bit more of a reason for them to be together. And and then, yeah, kind of same thing. Like they started doing backstories and, and paths started you seeing where lines could cross and say, all right, you know, this person because of this, and, and then you would know this person. Um, so then when it came to like session one, you know, in my, in my game, I've got four people, two of them know each other, two of them know each other, you know, two sets. And, um, so it just kind of helps as well, bring people together. And then another thing, as far as, you know, highlighting those individual moments is I also, I've had a lot of success just 
during like things come out during the game, um, you know, because I think sometimes the you know it, it might not come out until the players are in the game and they're they're playing the game. Um, I think in like Tempest Feud, that's come up a lot where you know just somebody revealed something during role play, and I was like, hey, that's going to be an excellent thing to touch on later. So you know, definitely pay attention to that stuff and and see how that can work as well. Oh, for sure. It's especially like uh, in player interactions, it's kind of just give you some like exposition to their backstory in game. And what is one of the things as a player too? You just kind of think of something like, oh yeah, that fit them, and then you can sometimes reveal it and really have a cool moment with that. Uh, or even if it doesn't come to a cool moment of that aspect, uh, like you mentioned, Todd, this is a DM, like something to jot down and either make something that's going to happen in relation to that, or even somehow link it back into what's going on in the current campaign. Right. I think uh, so. We. You know, I've seen this in our in our in a play by post game that we play in that whether it's it comes out more in a play by post, um, you know, I think just because if someone was having internal monologues like at the at a you know real table, maybe that that would kind of slow things down so much in a play by post. You can sit there and type out this stuff. But, you know, there's a lot of moments where people will say, you know, they'll they'll reflect on reasons why a character did something or said something and and it's a flashback of like oh back when when this character was younger you know this or this and in the play by post that's you know there's opportunity that now of course the other players can't metagame that you know that's not what that's for but it's just a cool element that uh you know it brings this it it builds on the character and and who they are and those are moments that you know the dm can pick up on and, and then they can introduce them so you know i think in a live game you know, as long as you're not too long-winded with it, you know, that would be, you know, you could say, oh, yes, and so then my character, uh, you know, as we as we are in the starship flying to our next uh, system, like, uh, I'm just sitting there and thinking about thinking about home, thinking about my brother or something like that, uh, just as a internal thought thing. And then maybe, you know, that's a moment where where the DM could pick it up, pick up on. Definitely. And I know we do this for both of our games, but uh, for DMs out there who haven't, if you uh, get a chance, if you use a Discord thread to organize your game, whether you're playing in person or online, uh, start an RP channel for like downtime. Uh, it could be a great area for you to kind of get some things you want to get done off scene and still have the players involved in it. Uh, but it's perfect for letting players kind of flesh out the relationships with other players, uh, as well as kind of flesh out their backstory, just different, just kind of how their character reacts to the world. Uh, I know we've bundled both our games. It's kind of a fun one just to really bring a different perspective and just really kind of get everything kind of flowing even in between games. Oh, yeah, I love it. I, you know, after uh, I think I brought mine in. I forget when I brought mine in first, but, um, you know, once we started adding like the, the true structure to it and having it be, you know, the RP channel is only for RP. You're not asking questions about things. It's, it's truly in character stuff and, and whatnot. And. Um, but yeah, it's, especially like with, with the hunted game that you run Tegan, it's, it's every, it's bi-weekly. So every two weeks, so that's a good length of time in there for things to happen. And as long as there's a stopping point, that is the other aspect is like, you know, if you stop in the middle of combat or something, you don't have that opportunity, but if you kind of, you know, we came to a point in, in our game, uh, in last session that, uh, it was like, all right, we just completed, uh, kind of an encounter with somebody and so we had some dead time and it was a perfect opportunity for us because we were still fresh as a group we we basically been thrown into this uh this encounter you know we didn't know each other really otherwise so it gave us an opportunity to flesh that out over text and um 
yeah, I think it's been great, you know, just to expand on those, uh, those conversations. Definitely. Because one of the things I like about play by post, I'm always table is my preferred method to play, but play by post just gives you a little second to think and just really kind of dive deeper into what your character would do. And I think it gives you some of that reflection too, that you can bring back to the table and like, Oh yeah, I thought about it. This, this is how my player would react to the situation where sometimes with live play, it's just so quick. You don't always get that chance to really kind of contemplate what you do in the scenario. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, and then you can, uh, learn a lot of new words by Googling, uh, it with your th- online thesaurus and whatnot. <laughs> definitely. definitely do that. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Um, so what else, uh, you know, we, we touched on a little bit with like the RP there, um, and, and just highlighting the individual PCs. Um, what else, uh, well, I guess I'll go to this one first. Um, you know, so we're talking about individual PCs, uh, but what about managing some of these, uh, PC abilities? This kind of goes in a little bit different direction, but, um, you know, a lot of the, the players here, and this is something that, uh, you know, I've kind of tried to deal with a lot lately, but, um, you know, a lot of these players now and these classes have uh, some pretty, you know, substantial and pretty awesome features and whatnot. So, Tegan, how do you handle dealing with that stuff and then not making it feel so much like you're metagaming the encounter, you know, d- directly uh countering you know somebody's uh, ability and whatnot because you want you want that encounter still to be fun obviously on both sides definitely and that's one of the ones it kind of just depends on how it go, you go about it because sometimes i don't feel like if if as long as you're not doing it overly like free, super frequently i don't think it'd be metagaming to have one encounter uh get a neutralize something that the player excels at right. uh like if you've got a bounty uh like uh, what would be a good one like uh if you've got uh, a berserker uh and you put in an encounter that uses a lot of charmed or wisdom saves i, I don't think that would be as long as you're not having every encounter have some type of wisdom save uh, i don't think that'd be metagaming sometimes your pc's gonna have a situation where they're just not the best at something or somebody's a hard counter to them uh and i think as long as it's used sparingly and kind of picking a different player each time uh i don't think it's gonna be something too crazy uh or especially if you use as a good story beat where you've got the big bad they've had some time to analyze the players that's a real fun time to throw in some hard stops where their usual strategies just aren't gonna work here yeah that's that's definitely the you know an excellent point there and um you know, what I've, I've been thinking of is, all right, so when they get to that enemy, that enemy is, has been observing them well enough to know, all right, that that's where it's appropriate to have those kind of direct counters almost to a point. So, um, you know, one thing I've, I've kind of struggled with is, is, the, is the situations that the players find themselves into, right? So uh, they, they're just going through an adventure, whatever, and they run into a den of thugs, uh, whatever, pirates, right? Those pirates are probably just regular pirates. They're not going to be anybody special. They're not necessarily going to be force users, tech users, etc. Um, you know, and, and that's what fits the story. That's what's most appropriate for the story. And then what I run into, it's a frustration is that, you know, how do you, uh, still make that in, an engaging counter, though. You know, they, a, a room full of pirate thugs, you know, yeah, maybe they're not going to, you know, kill and, and uh, destroy the party, but, you know, they should be able to put up a fight, and sometimes that just doesn't happen. And, um, you know, so I think that, 
you know, that's one thing that I struggle with, at least personally, and in, in trying to deal with that. Um, you know, what are some things, I know we've talked about this a few times before of doing, you know, maybe environmental effects or other things you can do in combat. So outside of just the enemies uh, themselves, what else have you utilized, Tegan, to kind of make a more engaging encounter? I definitely, we touched a little bit on that. Sometimes time is a good factor. Like if they've got to do something within a couple of rounds, uh, like I use that for uh, my regular, I have a traditional 5e game. I run two uh, and they had to save this uh, woman in less than one D four rounds. Uh, so sometimes time can make them uh, play outside of the usual strategies because they're, they've got to do something quickly or they've got to get to this area faster than they normally would have. So sometimes it could spread them out or uh, just make things a little bit more challenging because they just can't run their usual playbook. Uh, and that's one of the big things anything that you can really throw in there that just kind of gets some because after a while like a party will get into their rhythm and they'll have like okay i'm gonna run up uh, somebody's gonna cast plague and slow everybody down and then we're gonna cast lightning or something like that they always kind of get the usual strategy that they flow into for most mm -hmm. encounters so whatever you can do to throw them off that game and make them consider something else uh, i think it have an extra layer of challenge yeah good good old explosion every time yeah <laughs> yeah so i think like you said you know protecting somebody you know that's a good one anything that if you have like an aoe type element you know all right throw a throw an item or something that they have to you know save and then you know some of that stuff kind of it takes that out of the window so yeah that's um you know i think good good way to think about that and one thing I would look at too, and some of these you may have to kind of build your own for the like the, the monster or the encounter, uh, but check out some of the species too, because Star Wars has some crazy species that are still kind of commonplace. They've got some really cool features. Uh, and on the player side, they're a little bit nerfed, uh, but like uh, the Phalene, for example, uh, like they've got like natural pheromones that they can use to uh, kind of twist people's perceptions and their will and things like that. Uh, so that's one of those ones you could just throw in like a pirate gang and like they're, they're fairly common species so they not unusual to see them with the pirate gang uh and you could have them throw that in there and add that extra layer of challenge uh there's tons of crazy species with star wars with kind of different abilities like that that are as long as it's not like a, a species that wouldn't be in that time period or just crazy out of the norm uh that you could kind of slip in with a regular gang or a regular group of people uh and have them have that ability and still make sense yeah yeah for sure um, I know something that you've been using recently and, and I'm starting to pick up on it because I, I love the concept. Uh, I think that uh, Matt Colville was the one that kind of uh, got this one going. But, um, you know, just touching on this, uh, you know, encounter aspect here is action oriented monsters. Um, you know, and, and that's something, you know, we'll probably just touch on it here because I think it's it's almost a whole nother episode just talking about monster development in in general but uh, how have you used that uh, to a success so far definitely and this is something I've, I've really just started getting to uh, probably the last three or four months uh, but yeah it's Colvo, check him out. He's probably like my DM inspiration. Like a lot of the things I use, I kind of get from him. Uh, but this is just it's one of those ways that can both simplify it for you as a GM for things you want the monster to do, uh, as well as make an engaging fight for the players. Uh, I think a lot of DMs and uh, monster creators, myself included, have got like so caught up in what powers and spells to give a particular monster that you're designing, which can be great. But a lot of times, powers and spells I found can bog down an encounter from the GM side because you've got to look up exactly what they do, and that can slow the pace of game because you're not going to know every power right offhand. Uh, that could just really kind of slow things down. Down. Uh, 
uh, where generally there's going to be about a couple of different things you know for sure you want this encounter to have. Uh, you can just really build that into the actions for the monster. Uh, like uh, for our Patreons, like check out the, the two ones we posted uh, for this month, uh, the the Hut Keldoa and the Grey Hunter. Uh, those are both designed with that action-oriented encounter in mind. Uh, and you see that each round they've got something different they can pull out uh, to just kind of change the flow of the encounter. Uh, it's just really one of those things that you can do. And they can just really kind of have them push it out, change the flow. It almost kind of gives it, for lack of a better way to put like almost like a, a video game feel because you know with each round usually most monsters aren't going to survive long past three rounds uh in each round you're giving the players a different challenge or at least a different thing that they're doing to really kind of mix it up uh and kind of break out that tedium of just rolling dice and attack rolling dice attack right yeah it's it's such a great concept and it, it's something that happens um I believe it's in, not always but I think in in like the hut instance I think it was like top of the round uh, this effect happens, right? And it's in addition to their other actions, um, right? That's that's a basic concept. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's a so, top of the round, or you, you could do it at initiative 20, whichever your table prefers. But yeah. yeah, it goes in addition to the regular actions. And, and I know like one of them, um, you know, whether I, I get the example speci- uh, specifically or not, but one was just kind of a, um, a feedback type shield. I think this is one I maybe modified uh, but used in basically like, if you're within an area around the the creature that uh, and you do an attack that hits, there's a feedback uh, of uh, you know x damage you know whatever dice you want to use for that, and it just all of a sudden changes to like all right you know we have to. I used it in my game and the players were like oh shit like this is you know it, it was it was substantial enough that like you know yes we want to continue doing damage but. It's it's pushing back on us and this one little thing that completely changed the dynamic of the encounter and it was so simple to to just throw in there and say here's this element. Yeah, it's it's one of those, and that's why I love it because it just really it changes the flow of the encounter, gets the players thinking. Uh, and the nice thing too is, as a DM, it's because you've got it all like this way I do it. I've got it all written out there, so it's quick. You don't have to look anything up. You just throw it out uh, and the place of game just kind of keeps continuing and kind of gives you the effect of that power or kind of that game-changing effect you were looking for uh, without slowing anything down or too much extra work on your end. Yeah, for sure. That's the big thing that, you know, I, I picked up, I think, from you is is your mention of, you know, don't really go through and pick a bunch of, you know, powers, spells, whatever. Pick what you want the enemy to do and then find stuff that, you know, does that and then adjust as needed. You know, there's no reason to sit there and, and go, hang on, I got to look up this power, see what it does. Like, all right, I want my enemy to, you know, cause like hallucinations or whatever and and figure out how that works effectively and, and whatnot. So I think that's definitely the best way to look at it. And they're one of my favorite things. One of the things I'm doing now too is my, you know, I've kind of changed my session prep a little bit. So I'm kind of running everything in like three, three session groups. Uh, and so usually that third session, I'm trying to make at least every third session an action oriented boss monster that my players can kind of go up against. Uh, Cause it's one of those ones that can kind of bog your prep down if you do it every session, but at least every three or whatever works for your party, kind of a, on a decent frequency basis, you can kind of throw them in, give them that boss encounter and just really give them something kind of fun or unusual uh, to kind of cut their teeth against. Yeah, that's a great, uh, that's a great, uh, you know, thought process there is, is kind of your planning and whatnot. And I know this was, uh, one of our little other bullet points here is what else uh, your your session planning. What uh, what are some things that you do, or what has maybe changed over over time that you've been doing this? 
Definitely. So this is something newer. I think I started this with my new D, my traditional D and D game. I've started, but all my games are now uh, running across with this because um, I all my games are bi-weekly. Uh, so for weekly games, it may be a little bit different, but uh, for the bi-weekly games, I found that if you have too long of an arc, uh, it gets hard to remember because three uh, for three sessions, that's a month and a half uh, of kind of real life time. Uh, so I found that kind of three sessions is kind of that ideal amount of time where you can tell a story, but still keep everything fresh or freshish in people's minds. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm running my games. I'm planning everything out in three session arcs. Uh, so hopefully that they'll kind of have like the, the start off, uh, the build up in the middle, uh, that resolution arc at the, of the third session. Uh, and I've been pairing my kind of my boss monsters usually with that third uh, third session of the arc. Uh, and I found this uh, I've read this on one of my or two of my games now, and I'm just starting with the hunted game. Uh, and I found it just keeps everything a little bit easier to remember. Uh, it keeps everybody a little bit more engaged because the story like has that quicker resolution. I think I was running too long of arcs before. Uh, it just it makes it a little easier for planning because I can just sit down and kind of map out at least high-level details of what I expect to happen in the arc. I know players may always change that, but at least you have a good frame of reference and you know exactly what's going to happen in your world or galaxy uh, from those events from the, the other end of the table, too. Yeah, that's excellent. That's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I, I'm not doing any homebrew yet, but I'm very excited to get there. I'm, I'm finishing up, you know, kind of what I'm running these pre-writtens. Um, but I'm looking forward to, you know, stepping into them myself. And that's a great piece of advice to follow. Uh, you, you still have an overarching, uh, story, right? I, I'd imagine that these aren't going to be individual arcs, but they, like, there is going to be a little bit of a tie to the overarching uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. They're still tied to the overarching. It's just I found because initially, if you look at the overarching, like at least for me, like I've struggled like with trying to like get that planned down into different sessions, and I feel like I just made it. Like, it was too broad. I just really couldn't focus on anything. So I found just doing those three arcs and kind of still tying them back into the main, the main overall goal or emphasis for the campaign. I can plan easier and still. I think it makes everything a little bit more coordinated, a little easier for players to follow too. Yeah, absolutely. And that you know, kind of in combination with as we, we touched on like the RP channel. So you have that, which that's some notes you can bring. And then if you do break it up into these chunks, um, I think you added, uh, and I've done this a little bit too, is, is a, a recap channel in that Discord. You know, Discord's an excellent place to organize your campaign. Uh, I'd imagine most people are doing that, especially these days since we can't really meet up in person uh, very much. So, you know, you can organize the individual character channels, um, but then have uh, channels for all the character or for the campaign itself, all the lore. Um, but yeah, have a session recap channel that says, you know, this is kind of what happened. And, and uh, I like, um, I think this was another thing that I, I saw Matt Colville say, but have your players do the recap because um, then you learn as a DM, you know, what what do they remember? Maybe just for whatever reason, you know, not necessarily they weren't paying attention, but just something was more impactful during those sessions that they learned. And then you can fill in the gaps if you need, or you can say, okay, you know, this and that, but, um, you know, maybe have your players be the ones to type up those summaries, you know, if you use the discord in that way. And, and then, um, yeah, that gives you, so you could do, maybe you could just do that once after every, you know, mini arc, like at, at the end of your third session, here's a recap. And then you have these chapters, these chapter summaries, if you will, of, of what's going on. And, uh, you know, and then you can go back and, and reference that. 
definitely. And kind of in that player's perspective, it's really cool because it's kind of different things you can see from kind of how they viewed it versus how you viewed it. Uh, they really can kind of help uh, bring some clarity there. Uh, but I definitely like having kind of the, the little notes uh, in this, uh, the Discord because even as a player, sometimes you can just like forget exactly what's happened or kind of where you met that one character at. Uh, and with those notes, they can kind of go back in and review like, oh yeah, that's that's where I met him. This is what happened. Because uh, especially with games that go on for a long time, if you play for a year, uh, that's like a ton of different sessions that you've been involved in. Uh, and sometimes things will blur together or things just may not stay top of mind. And this way you can kind of get back and find a little bit more information on it. Yep, absolutely. And I, I know myself as a DM sometimes, I mean, you're managing everything. So even I forget, you know, characters and things like that. So it definitely helps to have a reference for sure. Definitely. And I'm naturally bad with names. So I've forgotten names of characters I built in session. So it's one of those things that helps me keep me honest about characters and uh, keep those names a little bit easier to remember. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Well, uh, before we keep rambling and rambling on here, uh, anything else? So, you know, maybe looking at a from a view of, of these new new uh, campaigns with Hunted and then, you know, I've got the Living Force, which is kind of new with a new group. Anything else that you would touch on today, Tegan, that's just kind of stood out? Uh, something that you'd want to tell the community that that's kind of helped you or, or, or you've noticed? Definitely. Well, this is uh, one thing uh, that we just started doing it from Hunted, but I know you've done it for a little while uh, in your, I think, Living Force campaign, uh, the, the video or the webcam for videos. Uh, We've only had one session with it, so I've only had one doing it myself. Uh, but I thought it was a lot, really kind of fun way to get a little bit of that in-table feel, uh, even for an online game. Uh, so that was definitely kind of a fun one. It kind of helped you know when people were about to speak and different things like that. So that's definitely one thing I would recommend, too. Yeah, it's been uh, great. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I tested it. We did an offline session uh, test, and then we went live with it. And... Absolutely. You you don't talk over each other as much. And, um, you know, I think one thing I liked is that I think it, it keeps people engaged a little bit more. You know, they're not, you know, looking at other things or whatever, um, you know, because, you know, the spotlight's on them. You can see them. And so, um, but really, I think it just gives that a little bit more personal feel. Um, so that's definitely one been one new uh, change that we've been doing that we really like. So we use... Um, you know, we did get a Zoom uh, subscription for that just uh, between our games uh, and the use that made sense for us. But, um, you know, I know Discord has an option. Uh, you could do like Google Hangouts. Um, you know, it's built into Roll20. So you can, you know, just use it right in Roll20 as well if you're doing that. So uh, definitely some options out there. But yeah, that'd be one thing additional I'd say uh, consider doing if you haven't yet. Uh, I think that definitely helps, uh, helps with, the, with the game. For sure. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorite new additions. All right. Well, yeah, um, you know, we'll, we'll save anything further for our next DM chat. Uh, you know, as we always say, I really love these, uh, these episodes, just kind of talking about whatever. Um, so uh, thank you all, as usual, for checking us out and listening and uh, following all of our content. We appreciate it very much. Uh, DungeonJediMasters.com uh, for links to all of that content. And um, up next, uh, next week, we're going to uh, talk about West Marches. They're kind of seem to be the flavor of the day lately. Uh, everyone's running a West March uh, campaign. And uh, one of them that kind of started early on, uh, it's been around for a while, uh, the Lost Republic that uh, gets 
there's I'm sure there's a link for it in uh, the Star Wars 5e Discord. Uh, looking for a group channel if you want to check that out. And um, I'm in that one. I haven't played anything, but I've just kind of followed around. And I mean, it's structured. The structure is amazing. There's so much stuff going on in there. So we're going to talk about what Westmarsh is a little bit, and then also have an interview with uh, Ashy Abe's, who's one of the DMs of that, and just kind of learn about his experience with that and. You know, if, if anyone out there wants to join one of these or maybe, you know, whip one up themselves and kind of how that looks. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be a good episode. Yeah, that'll be fun. I've always been interested in Westmarch. I've never actually played in one myself. So it'd be kind of cool to see their structure and uh, maybe see if I a time I could jump in myself. Yeah, absolutely. So look forward to that, guys. So that'll be next week. Um, but otherwise, that is it. Again, thank you so very much. We'll see you next time. May the force be with you. May the force be with you.